Welcome to the Jeff Arrival Show, and we are back and have a special guest with us today from the Mile High City of Denver. He hosts the extremely popular podcast, Touchdown Denver. He played 11 years in the National Football League, most of that with the Broncos, was a Pro Bowl alternate with the Broncos. He's now a media magnet in the Mile High City, and he, along with my regular partner, Michael, are going to talk Bronco football because it's been, to say the least, an exciting and sometimes frustrating eight weeks of the, you know, first eight weeks of this season for the Broncos. Welcome in, Nick Ferguson. What's going on, man? Now, what's up with the Star Wars gear, man? I know you've always been a Star Wars guy, but I thought you'd have that, that bright orange of the Broncos on on this show. No, man, it's uh, it's a jury day here in uh, Colorado. Uh, we're getting our uh, second stint of snow outside right now. So I'm just dressing apart. And listen, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I got to find a way to brighten things up, you know? So that's what I do. Well, even Yoda couldn't have predicted the first eight weeks of the season would be like they've been. For, for the Broncos offense. You go out and get yourself a $200 million quarterback, and everybody says Broncos are going to the playoffs. They're, they're, the problems are solved. Everybody put it on the quarterback for the last couple of years in Denver. And here we go. Russell Wilson has been an, I don't know, what, what, what would you say, roller coaster ride of the first eight weeks in, in Denver? Yeah, it's been that much of a roller coaster, but me, unlike other people, I temper my expectations because, I mean, I not only played this game, but I coached this game. It was far beyond that whole phrase of, hey, we're just one player away, and that's been the idea here in uh, Broncos country. We're one quarterback away. It doesn't work that way. Now, if the Broncos had a more seasoned play caller, yes, then I would have bought into the hype. But, no, you have a guy in the thing Hackett coming over from the Green Bay Packers he was their OC, but Matt LaFleur was calling the plays. So he's doing all of this learning on the job as things go. And as a guy that's coached in, this, in college football and you've been around the game for so long, you know that it's not just about the X's and O's. It's about coaching your coaches. Also, it's about in-game management, knowing what to do, how to make those all-important calls on third and one, uh, fourth and one, when to punt, when not to. So Nathaniel Hackett is learning for the first time, and that's having a major impact on the offense so far. Nick, let's let's touch on that because obviously, you know, I have empathy for anybody that coaches because it's a tough job, and especially when you're you're becoming a head coach for the first time at the professional level. He is learning on the job, but it's a thankless place to to learn on the job because your, your examination comes every Sunday in front of millions and millions of people. And early in the season, in particular, we did see all kinds of mismanagement of the clock, poor decision-making in terms of do I go for it, do I take my $200 million quarterback off the field and put my kicker, who's never kicked one over 61 yards, out there for a 64-yarder, really frustrated and bewildered a number of the Broncos fans. How has Hackett grown through this first eight weeks. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel for him as a head coach? Well, I haven't really seen all the end of the tunnel. It's like you will see flashes of it, and that is 
what keeps you optimistic, but more importantly, that's the thing that makes me optimistic because every now and again, we will see those flashes, but I understand this offense more than people think I do because I not only played against it, I coached against it as well. And this offense is based on running the ball, establishing the run to open up the pass. And when you look at some of the route combinations, to me, they are not in sync. They're not something that would accentuate the skill set of Russell Wilson because you know this as a coach, if your outside wide receivers are running 12 to 15 to 20 yard routes, that's putting pressure on your offensive line. An offensive line that's been banged up and they've shown that they can't pick up simple stunts like maybe a a nickelback blitzing off their edge or a a simple ET stunt where all you have to do is count and talk to one another before it even takes place. We're not seeing a lot of these simple things, you know, manifesting this Broncos offense and the lack of creativity from game to game, to me, that that's kind of, that's a little deflating. But watching how the Broncos play going into halftime against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which most people are not giving the Broncos credit for that. But let's be totally honest. That's a pretty decent front seven that the Jacksonville Jaguars had. And the Broncos couldn't really run the ball. So they had to pass the ball. And this one we saw Russell look like the Russell of old, buying time with his feet evading pass rushers, throwing the ball down the field. This is more of what we need to see, but it was more up-tempo. And when you play with tempo, you put pressure on the offensive linemen, the wide receivers to get open, and the quarterback to make better decisions. And this is the style of offense I'm hoping that we will see after the bye week. Well, I think they may have stumbled on something. I agree with you. When they brought – when they, you know, pick the tempo up and, you know, you get a little cleaner looks, a little more vanilla looks on defense. It's harder to get sub packages and blitz packages in defensively. And I think that helps not, not so much Russell, because I think Russell can decipher all that stuff, but I think it helped the offensive line. And, and that's an area where they still are struggling. And there was talk that, you know, last week they gave uh, Bradley, they didn't give Bradley Chubb away. They traded Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. And I think it was a good move. They've got a, a bunch of young pass rushers there. And again, an opportunity to move him, uh, get an asset. And, you know, I think that that was a good move for him. Also, I heard Dalton Reisner was on the chopping block or on the trade block, but he, he, uh, he apparently they couldn't get a deal done for him. Where do you think they're going to go to try and help that offensive line? What can they do now that we're past the trade deadline? Well, that's the one thing that's great about what, you know, George Payton was able to do. And there are those here in the local media that are criticizing him for making this move. And these are the same individuals that criticize John Elway for drafting Bradley Chubb over Josh Allen. So to me, they still, some of the people in the local media can't figure out what side they want to stand on. But I think this was a great move for the Broncos, a win-win for everyone. The Broncos got a first-round pick with, did not have because they traded it to the Seattle Seahawks for Russell Wilson. They got a, a fourth round pick in 2024, a fifth round in 2025, and also Chase Edmonds to come in this year to help out the running game and why Chase Edmonds is so important because the majority of our running backs, if not all of our running backs, their contracts are up at the end of the season. So you really don't have anyone under contract, but Chase Edmonds and Javante Williams who are coming off injury. So, this was a great move, and it worked out well for Bradley Chubb. I mean, this the five-year deal worth $119 million, 63.2 guarantee. I would say that George Payton put Bradley Chubb 
and a great position because they knew they couldn't retain his services. So put him in the best situation where he's with a better team, similar to what he did with Vaughn Miller a year ago, sending Vaughn to the Rams. So it all works out. And the best part about it, over the past couple of drafts, when you look at what George Payton has been able to do, a lot of his draft picks have actually played and contribute, not in the second year, but in their first year. So if you stick to that trend, you have to figure that he's going to put this team in, in the right position. And knowing it's though you spend so much money on Russell, you got to find a way to get put more talent around him. So your original question was, what do I expect for them to do? That first round pick is number 20 in this draft. Now you can trade back, you can trade up, you can look to other teams who are looking to move veteran players and say, listen, maybe we could package that first round pick and maybe go get maybe a left guard or a right tackle. But right now, George Payton has more options now than he had at the beginning of training camp. That's why I call it an asset, because I, I they may not use it on a single player. They may use it on multiple players, or but it's, but it's a valuable asset. You know how first-round draft choices are coveted by general managers around the league. Nick, I think you bring a, up a real good point. Chubb, as good a player as he is, was going to command high dollars. And they just, you, you know, from your years in the National Football League, when you've got a high-dollar quarterback, you've got to backfill that with rookie contracts just so that you can meet your cap. So, again, I think it was a good move all the way around. Let's talk about a Denver kid that uh, – he's not a Denver kid, but a, a, he plays for Denver that in the offseason when they picked him up from Philadelphia, I made the statement that I thought he was the best under-the-wire free agent acquisition anybody made in the National Football League, and that's Alex Singleton, the linebacker that they got from Philadelphia. When they got him, he had been Philadelphia's leading tackler two years in a row, and he did something two weeks ago, Nick, that's, that's only been done one other time in the history of the National Football League when he had 19 solo tackles in one football game. That kid is just a football player took the same route you did where he cut his teeth in pro football and got his chance by playing in the Canadian football league and then came down, made the, made the Eagles. And now he's starting again and playing extremely well for them. Well, the one thing I, I like Alexander Singleton, I got a chance to uh, talk to him uh, this season. And I told him that I definitely like what he brings to the team, but obviously he was viewed not as a starting linebacker, but, a guy who can play special teams and then in the pinch, he can come in and help you out. And he's done great uh, for himself and that, because he's going to be uh, one of those guys who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So maybe the Broncos bring him back or he's played well, well enough by the end of the season to garner another a better lucrative contract from someone else. But I like the way he plays the game. Now, when you have that many tackles as a linebacker in the game, your first concern is what's happening up front. And that means that the opposing team run the ball down your throat. That is something definitely the Broncos fix. But having a guy like Alex Singleton coming in for Josie Jewell, not too many people have a guy like that. I know we saw Roquan Smith from Chicago Bears. He was just traded to the Baltimore Ravens. No, he's not Roquan Smith. But once again, in the pinch, if you need a guy who understands football, who can go out there and get everyone lined up and can make some plays for you, Alexander Singleton can definitely do that. Now, Nick, when you look around the National Football League, we got one team undefeated still. And for the first time in the history of the organization, the 
Eagles have a chance to go 8-0 and if they can beat the Texans this week. What's your take on the Eagles and what has been a dynamic, dynamic young quarterback in Jalen Hurts? Well, everything starts with Jalen Hurts. I mean, just think about it. Just a year ago, he was uh, really criticized for the way he played the game. And it was like, well, hey, he's not really going through his progressions. He's pulling the ball down. He's running the ball. And I go back to the game when he played against the New Orleans Saints. And at that time, the Saints had a great defense going into that matchup against the Eagles. But, I mean, Jalen Hurst made it look like they were JV. And playing at Alabama, playing at Oklahoma, you, you just don't forget how to play football once you come in the NFL. It's all about setting that quarterback up and putting players around him. And, and most importantly, it starts with the offensive line. So they did a great job of getting some offensive line play to put in front of him, to, to protect him in the pass and pass protection. But the biggest thing was they went out and, and they grabbed A.J. Brown, trading from him for the Tennessee Titans. And when you look at quarterback play and some of the things that they need to be successful, you don't just need uh, protection from the offensive line. You need a ground game, which they had, but they did not have guys outside the numbers to help them. When you look at the fact that Zach Ertz was there, they traded Ertz away to the Arizona Cardinals. And you're thinking like, no, there's no way. Why would they do that? But they felt as though they still had a guy in Dallas Goddard who can make plays down the middle of the field for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I posted something you know, uh, earlier this week showing the type of protection that Ertz had. It, it, was, it was The pocket was so clean. None of the Pittsburgh Steelers defenders were nowhere near him. That is a dream pocket for any quarterback. But to know you can do that, you have the RPO game. And then just like the Buffalo Bills have Josh Allen, there is the threat of running the ball. So a defensive coordinator has to think, can we get pressure with our front five or do we have to add a guy in the mix as a spot? And when you do that, that means your wide receivers are one-on-one outside. And they're doing a great job, you know, putting – hurts in situations and he's making the most of the situation so that's why they're undefeated and i expect them to be undefeated after facing uh the houston texans all right nick now one of the one of the guys that you battled with and and had great games against and and you know has been a the preeminent quarterback in the national football league for the last 20 years tom brady is flat struggling in tampa bay right now tampa can't run the ball they can't throw the ball. They can't stop the run. It has been an absolute horror show of injury after injury in Tampa. Where do you see that thing going? Because right now in that division, the Falcons at four and four, if we went to the playoffs, the Falcons would be in the playoffs. Today. But see, that's the thing. If we went to the playoffs, but the playoffs don't start right now. There's still much more season to go. And I feel with Tom Brady being a veteran guy, uh, the Bucks starting to get healthy from a wide receiver standpoint. Now Julio Jones back, uh, Odwin is back. Now we're going to start to see this offense start to turn things around. And more importantly, look at the fact of who in their division. And in order to get in the playoffs, I mean, all you have to do is win your division. So I know Todd Bowles is going to right the ship. And let's be totally honest. There's, there's a lot of personal things that Tom is dealing with that I don't wish on, you know, my worst enemy that affects you as a ball player. When things are not home, not right at home, how can you really focus on ball the way that you need to focus? Because having that strong family group, not just in the locker room, but at home, it helps a lot of players. But 
Tom is a veteran player. He came back for a reason. Uh, Todd Bowles is going to have to really find out some things and try to change some things with his defense, knowing as though they've been plagued by injuries. They lose Shaq Barrett to an Achilles injury for the entire season. That's definitely going to hurt their pass rush because they don't have an Indomitian Stu. They don't have a JPP. So you have to ask yourself, where's that pressure going to come from? They're going to have to manufacture pressure. And Tampa Bay, let's be totally honest, Jeff, they don't really have those man-to-man type corners. They have those cover two type corners, which is going to put a lot of stress on the defensive side of the ball. But it boils down to this. Can you run the ball? And it's something that's interesting. We're talking about Tom Brady and his struggles. Think about Matt Ryan and his struggles. They couldn't protect him. They could not run the ball. And here's another guy. Aaron Rodgers, guess what? They can't protect him, and they can't run the ball. So so there is a kind of something that's going on here, somewhat of a trend, that all those quarterbacks I just named, they're going through the same issues. The Broncos are going through, which is not being able to protect the quarterback and not being able to run the ball. You're not going to have success in this league if you can't do either of those two. You're exactly right. Those things go together because if you can't run the ball and you can't protect the quarterback, you're not going to win very many games in the National Football League. Nick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Fans, if you want more of Nick Ferguson, again, his podcast is Touchdown Denver. You can get it where where you get all your great podcasts, including this one. And again, Nick, awesome to have you with us. Keep doing your thing and keep us up to date. We'll be back in towards playoff time hopefully and talk to you about Broncos in January.